This is Founders Talk, an interview podcast hosted by me, Adam Stachowiak, and we profile founders building businesses online as well as offline. If you found the show on iTunes, we're also on the web at 5x5.tv slash Founders Talk. If you're on Twitter, follow Founders Talk and me, Adam Stack. Today's guest is Vitaly Friedman, founder of Smashing Magazine. Enjoy the show. I'm here with Vitaly Friedman. He's the editor-in-chief of Smashing Magazine. It's an online magazine. I'm sure that you're listening to this. You definitely know about Smashing Magazine. I'm a big fan of what Vitaly and his team has been doing over there. But uh, Vitaly, it's a pleasure to have you on my show. Thank you so much for coming. Hi, Adam. Thanks for inviting me, too. It's a pleasure to be on the show as well. I hear that uh, not long ago you became a fan of the show, too. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's actually I discovered the uh, podcast like I don't know two months ago or so, and I was really I'm I'm really happy that there are projects like yours out there which just try to share the knowledge and help out the community. It's it really means a lot, and I actually I just love it seriously. And I'm not just saying that. <laughs> no, don't 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 just say it for sure. I, mean, I never you, just say things. You gotta be no, real. You gotta be real. Yeah, yeah. So Vitalia, I mean, I could probably assume who you are, but I mean, you got this. Massive history. You've been on the web since, from what I could tell, back in late '90s, doing writing and getting into web design. But you know, for the, for the uninitiated of Smashy Magazine, aka Vitaly Friedman, who are you, and you know, what have you been doing for the past, I don't know, number of years? Okay, well, I'm a crazy person. <laughs> okay, uh, <laughs> no, not really. Um, well, yeah, I I don't know. Honestly, I'm. It's a difficult question. Actually, I started this whole weird web design stuff in 1999 and I was experimenting with table layouts and stuff like that and I hated it, every single bit of it and then I dropped it completely and then I decided, okay, let, I will study mathematics and computer science and I did and at some point I discovered my passion for typography and, and CSS came out and uh, I just jumped right into it and I, I actually, I always wanted to be a computer scientist, like this freaky computer scientist, you know, from illustrations uh, where you could develop stuff and build shiny, beautiful interfaces for people to use. And I also always liked writing. And over time, I just kind of was, was I don't know, tucked away in this position of being an editor, which I actually like a lot. But this is certainly not something my father or I was intended to become 10 years ago. So basically, I'm just an editor. <laughs> That's it. And uh, you know, we we know you from Smashing Magazine, but can you can you take us back in time a bit to to talk about say the early days be, before it was even Smashing Magazine? What was going on, and what was developing in your life that uh, had eventually sprawled you into being the editor in chief at Smashing Magazine and and doing all the fun stuff you're doing today? Okay, um, two thousand three, two thousand two. Actually, I was um, jumping back in CSS, as I told uh, mentioned earlier. And at the time, I was freelancing a bit, and I was doing some writing uh, in Russian and in German. Because originally, I'm from Minsk, Belarus, and my father moved to Germany in two thousand, and I moved with him. And still, I was doing writing at the time, and I was doing a bit coding, I was doing a bit design, just experimenting a bit most of the time. And then I found this German magazine, which was called Dr. Web.de, and um, I thought, okay, what the hell? I have no idea about German, but I can try write for the magazine as well. 
And so I did, and I wrote articles like for two years or so, perhaps 70, 75 articles. And then the guy who actually ran this German magazine, it was his idea to create kind of an English-speaking version of the magazine. And it was basically just an experiment, right? And we thought, okay, what the hell, let's, let's just translate a couple of articles we have, just publish them online, pick a random WordPress theme, um, get it online, and let's see how it works. And this is exactly what we have done. And we started very slowly with two articles per, per, per week, um, all translated by us. And it just went. It, it, people were interested in it. And um, for us, it was more about basically this whole magazine idea. It wasn't just a magazine. We just wanted to have some hub where we could uh, put all the useful resources we'll, we'll find on the web. Um, related to web design and web development. Because at the time, there was no proper directory in terms of um, useful CSS techniques, useful CSS tools, and so on. So we thought, okay, why don't we build one that we could use in our regular work? Um, because we were both web designers, and we could certainly use it, right? So um, we created this kind of side project, and we did our things on the way, uh, on the, like... Smash Magazine was kind of a side project, right? And we did our own things. Like I was doing my university stuff and he was doing his magazine. And over time it turned out that most well, magazine is quite getting some popularity and people find it useful. And we thought, okay, we need to do something with it. So this is kind of the route I went to from becoming from being a freelancer to being a writer to being an editor. I love this. So the this um these two projects you kind of independently worked on, did they eventually merge and become Smashing Magazine? No, Smashing Magazine was a different, it was a kind of side thing that uh, evolved independently of other projects. So um, Dr. Web still exists today. Um, and the other things I was doing, they still exist today, but Smashing Magazine is a different thing. So it's it's not merged. And But you could say that we actually used the ideas that we had that my colleague had in the German magazine and transformed it um, in a different, just gave it a different form or shape and uh, moved it to Smashing Magazine. You could say that. Uh, what was, when did Smashing Magazine officially become Smashing Magazine? Like, when did the domain get bought? When was the first version of WordPress uploaded and the theme installed and the first article published? It happened, well, almost five years ago, actually, more than five years ago, uh, somewhere in late August 2006. Um, we just, seriously, we just picked a random WordPress theme and we tried to put the best content we can get from the very beginning. The first post was uh, about useful uh, chart tools for web designers, web developers. Nothing special, nothing spectacular, honestly. But it was there was no place where it was all gathered at one place. So it was useful at the time. Don't you find it amazing and, that, uh, you know, in life, things we do sometimes, they, you know, years down the road, they have a big impact. But when you first do certain things in life, and for example, starting from Action Magazine, like you, like you said, just picking a random WordPress theme and it, it was just, you know, willy nilly kind of nonchalant um, mm-hmm. producing and starting this thing. Like you don't realize the impact that you're going to have years down the road from this one we single action. We had no idea. <laughs> we had seriously no idea. We, Honestly, Adam, I think that most time, most things in, in smashing and in general in, in, in business and maybe even in private life, um, best thing happens when you just try things out. 
we have done many experiments, maybe some things you haven't, our readers haven't seen and maybe some things they have seen. And we have done some mistakes, but we also have done some remarkable things. So if you do not experiment, then nothing will happen. At the time, we just tried out something and it worked. It's like it's like we also had some uh, article formats which didn't work. Like for example, um, the first comic strip we had—it was just a disaster. It was fail, ultimate fail. Everybody hated it, <laughs> but it made us stronger, and we realized we did a mistake and we wouldn't do it again. So maybe next time we will do it better. And there were there were different things, other things that actually worked. Like for example, this um, desktop wallpaper contest that we have every month, where people. All around, artists, artists actually all around the world just submit their desktop wallpapers and then we feature the best of them. So in the beginning it was just an idea, we just posted it and it could be a failure, but well, it, it is a success. It's actually one of the, I think it's the most popular article every month. So I know my girlfriend is a huge fan of, uh, of your wallpapers <laughs> and I think as soon as the, the, the post comes out for this month's uh, desktop, she's all over it, and she's looking for the first one that's like you know girly, of course, and it's yeah. you know, but she's she she loves it, and I know that she's always supporting the Smashing Magazine desktop. That's for sure. You can guarantee that fact. That's for sure. Yeah, um, thank you. I love this about the about you though. I love the fact that you're just you know into experimenting, and that Smashing Magazine originally was just more or less you know like you said a side project or an experiment, and you just kind of ran with it. And I love this just the fact that you just had this idea, and uh, it was more or less a culmination of some other efforts and some other learning. But you know indirectly, Smashing Ma- Magazine was kind of just born from um, just trying something new. I, I just love right, love exactly. that fact. This is a point. Yeah. Exactly the point. I mean, now we're you know we're five, almost six years later. Now I guess still five, almost six years later. Um, you know, what do you look back on now, being as far ahead of the game as you are to the early days of Smash Magazine? What are the things that you think um, were just really awesome that may have gotten lost in the shelf, or what are the things that you've developed over the time that are, are just were just not there at all when you first started out? Oh, that's a terrific question. <laughs> um, I remember vividly when, uh, the times when we created this wonderful lists and roundups of like 50 useful CSS tools or whatever. And um, I know for sure that I wouldn't want to do it today. I don't say that it was a mistake, but um, it was useful at the time. But if you think about it right now, it, was just, it wasn't original content. It was really, you know, just shuffling things around, um, creating a post out of nothing. Um, just actually gathering useful tools that other people create and then presenting them, which is great at some point, but it's not really what a significant or, or good uh, publication does. So in the beginning, we didn't have much. We didn't have publishing policy. We didn't have editorial team, proper editorial team. We just had our ideas and we wanted to do something useful. And over time, many things have changed. Like we have introduced experts panel, which means that every article before it gets published, it needs to be revised by two independent experts who are also getting paid for that. Um, We have proofreaders, we have research team, we have all this kind of stuff. And we didn't have it back then. And I feel, I don't miss it. I, I mean, I feel that right now, what we have right now is really 
strong. We have a stable foundation. We know we have our principles. We have our philosophy. We have our publishing policy. We have things that make us strong. At the time, we were really weak. So we there could be many many ways we could go to just completely ruin the thing we created. Right. And what is important here is that we consistently try to challenge ourselves to go the way that we feel is right. Right, not for financial situation. We could we could like could turn to into a blog, into entertainment blog or, or news blog or whatever. But the significant that we wanted to maintain this professionalism in terms of policy content for web designers and web developers. And you see, you can see many blogs out there who, who which are who are trying to well go a different route, like expanding in different directions, just trying to maximize um, the well, the number of the audience, right? right? And traffic, of course. And it was significant for us in the beginning and right now to really dive deep in, into the quality material, making sure that every article that is published has certain value and substance. And I, don't, I think that it was a really important decision at the time and truly really helped us a lot to become the publication that we are right now. You mentioned you have a publishing policy. Can you describe that or share any, any bits of that? Yeah, the thing is, like in 2007, I think we we are going to change some things because we've seen that we have so many copycats and we need kind of to have a strong foundation on which we build um, our editorial processes. And this is a time when we created this publishing policy, which basically just states what we're doing and what we're not doing in um, our articles. So, for example, we would never um, have a sponsored post in Smashing. We would never have, um, like, sponsored giveaway on Smashing or stuff like that. Um, it's important that every article is really... There's, there is a strict strict separation between advertising and content. And we also have different things, like, for example, the author should not... Uh, the main incentive the main the and uh, intention of the writer should not be to promote him or herself, but rather to share knowledge with uh, um, the audience, with our audience and with the community. So I know a hell of a lot of writers who are trying to sneak their links in the article because obviously they want to have traffic and stuff like that. And I'm relentless. <laughs> I'm, I'm cutting it all if they like it or not. And these are just things that are really important to us. And whenever an article gets published, it's supposed to be published, we always double-check that everything is actually measures the publishing policy that is kind of holy for us. So this is something that we stand for. We put it out there, we published it, and we stick to it no matter what happens. And this commitment is kind of something that really drives me and helps me getting more professional in what I'm doing because I, I'm not a born editor, right? I, I have never studied it. I have no idea about journalism. I just know what feels right to me or what feels wrong to me. And this is something that really is important to me. Now, I like how you mentioned uh, that you're relentless. And earlier in the call, before we actually started recording, you had shared with me how some people like or dislike you because of how relentless you are and how you had even started off this podcast and this, this call with me as stating that you're a crazy person. And I, I think what you mean <laughs> yeah. by that really is not that you're really 
uh, clinically crazy, but that you're just <laughs> yeah. relentless about <laughs> <Open up. laughs> that you're just relentless yeah. about this quality content. So this publishing policy is more of an extension of of uh, of your psyche, I guess, maybe even in the fact that maybe, uh, yeah. you know you yeah. don't want certain kind of content on Smash Magazine because it represents a certain piece of you. And in you know, I noticed that uh, everywhere you go where it says Smashing Magazine, it's really Vitaly. Yeah, right? true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, the thing is, I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't say that I'm Smashing Magazine is me or something like that. But I would say that there is my signature everywhere on Smashing. Like every article is, has a bit of sparkling Vitaly somewhere in it. So um, every article is touched, every article is adjusted just to make it perfect, just a bit more perfect maybe. And yeah, there are people who really do, don't feel comfortable working with me, but it's okay. I mean, I'm not I'm not supposed to be uh, great for everybody. What matters to me is that we produce a quality product that I can stand behind, that I can, that I can be proud of. So whenever I'm going on stage or whenever I'm talking to people, I can say Smash Magazine and I can be proud of every single bit of it. This is very important to me because without Smashing, I I wouldn't say that it's my life, but it's certainly something that is really important to me and that I have built. And just making sure that this goes in the right direction is something that um, defines who I am as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've worked for years uh, you know, you use the word curate. You know, you've been curating Smashing Magazine, whether it's you been being the direct writer or working with the writer to help hone that content right. into something that's better consumed by the community and, as you'd mentioned, better informs and better educates the community. Um, you, you mentioned copycats, and I know that when you get to a certain point and you have a successful website, whether it's a, a web application or an iPhone app or uh, a successful online magazine like Smashing Magazine, at some point you get to this status where you can become copied or tweaked or mirrored. What do you do about copycats and other blogs that are similar or try to be like you? Yeah. Um, well, at some point we were easy to copy. Like if you publish on a list, like 35, whatever, you know, then it's easy to copy you. But what we have done, we have... Um, I wouldn't say extended, but we have really changed Smashing Magazine over the last two, three years. It has it underwent a tremendous change um, in everything, actually, in terms of content, in terms of editorial work, in terms of processes we have. So we've invested a lot of time into making sure that we um, are producing a quality publication, not just a random blog. But that we really go this big step, this huge step from being a small list blog to, well, advanced professional publication for designers and developers. And what was important there is to make sure that the articles we publish cannot be copied. And what we have done for that, we just invested in quality. So we have good writers, we have good editorial processes. As I mentioned, we have experts panel, we have proofreaders, we have research team, we have people who double-check things, we have editors who are dedicated for specific topics and so on. So we invested a lot, a lot of time and a lot of resources in making sure that all these editors and that people, all the people who participate in the editorial process, they're doing tremendous and great work. And if you look at the articles published in Smashing, most of the time, they are result of numerous weeks of work. And I don't think that it's easy to copy. 
It's more about like if, if you produce something that is copyable, it will be copied. But if you produce something that requires um, a lot of work and that has certain philosophy behind it, it's much more difficult because it's very difficult to copy philosophies. And it's also difficult to copy ideas. You can copy results, but I don't think that you can copy ideas as easily yeah. because you also have no idea about the context behind that. So basically what you see on Smashing is just see an article, but you have no idea about the processes involved in the producing it. And this is the key. You know, I, I, I can't believe we've gotten this far into the show and the, the main topic we've talked about is you, of course, and then Smashing Magazine, but the name Smashing Magazine, where did, you, where did this name come from? Was it just pulled out of a hat? Was it a domain you own and you repurposed it for something? Like, where did Smashing Magazine come from? Um, it's a great question, too. Um, the thing is, sometime in 2006, I don't know, Sven just sent me an email and he was thinking, okay, how do we call this new thing that is going to be an English uh, doctor web, which is uh, how his blog is called, his magazine is called. And we were thinking about different things. And basically what we were going to do initially we wanted to have this list, right? Because they performed so well in German. So we thought, okay, what the hell are we doing here? We're trying to deliver a message. We're trying, no, actually not. We're trying to deliver useful resources. Okay, it sounds reasonable. So what, again, what exactly do we do? Okay, we, our lists are quite long, are going to be quite long because they're supposed to be comprehensive. Hmm, how do we call it? Smash, smash, smashing, smash me, smash my, I don't know. And... Actually, I suggested smashing because I felt like we are smashing readers with information. This is what's basic, the basic idea behind that, because our posts were supposed to be comprehensive and uh, useful. So it's kind of, I, I'm giving you something, but I'm not just giving you, I'm smashing with it. So this <laughs> is where the name comes from. I love it. And Dr. Webb, I mean, this, this magazine is still in production. I mean, I'm seeing, uh, where did the... You mentioned Sven. Is is Sven who does Dr. Webb? The thing is, he did Dr. Webb until November 2011. Uh, he doesn't do it anymore. You mean 10? Because um, we're in 2011 now. Ah, uh, sorry, 2010, yes. Okay. Yeah, sorry. I was going to say, that's future. And <laughs> <laughs> he's not doing it anymore. Actually, we... Um, Dr. Webb has become... In 2009, we created the company Smashing Media. Um with its, um, which is located here in Freiburg, Germany. And Dr. Webb has become a part of it. Because over time, as Smashing grew, Dr. Webb, the importance of Dr. Webb has um, diminished. And the reason for that is that in, German, in Germany, it has become very difficult to um, produce articles on web design, web development, which are the main, where the main focus of Dr. Webb. And kind of... It was difficult to combine it with revenues. Like the revenues for Doctor Web were diminishing all the time; they were dropping, and the costs for writers for finding new writers uh, were increasing all the time. So at some point, it just didn't make any sense. It's a pity, actually, because the magazine exists for ten, for eleven years now. Existed, existed for eleven yeah. years. But this is just the way how things developed. And I also think that most people are kind of in Germany as well, maybe in the whole world probably, I used to write about, um, to read about web design, web development in English. This is just the way things are. I want to rewind for a second and go back to, to where I derailed us from smashing and we smash you with it. Because as you were yes. talking there, you saying we smash you with it just kept 
uh, repeating over and over in my head. And I was just thinking that what a what a what a wild way to come up with a name for a very popular website. And it goes back to that <laughs> yeah. what I said earlier, where you know you you do things in life, and you really don't recognize the ramifications of what that is you're going to do or what you name something is going to be you know, down the road. I think it's just so wild to, to realize it's like, we smash you with this article. So that's what we're going to call it. We're going to call it smashing magazine. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, we really didn't expect much. We didn't want, we didn't even thought, thought about, uh, like creating something that we could, that could, uh, help us live our lives. Like in terms of financial revenue and stuff like that, we just didn't think about it. It was really more a side project where we wanted to see if what we're doing is useful. And basically, we did what 37 Signals guys did. Um, basically, just create your each, right? And then if something, if you need something, just build it and make, make it available, accessible for other people. And if they find it useful, then, well, the better, right? Right. And this is exactly what we have done, actually. At what point then, where was the turning point with what you were doing? You said, you know, you didn't expect much. So at what point did you get... Uh, feedback from the community and just in general that hey what we're doing here is matters to people and it's it's really working out was it advertising or was it you know how did you even get to a piece where you're monetizing things and even able to pay yeah. writers did you come up with capital or get seed money or was it just something no, you ran we, on your own yeah we have never raised capital we have never worked with a venture capitalist we um actually we build it all from scratch ourselves um in the beginning, after two months maybe after launch, we noticed that the traffic is growing and the search engines picked up, which was kind of great. And we did all kind of nasty things. We, we added Google AdSense first, which brought a bit of money. Then we actually sold text links, which is just bad, right? <laughs> um, yeah. And Google penalized us, uh, penalized us for that. And we were kicked out, out from Google Index for six months or so. Um, it really hurt at the time, uh, but at the same time, we—I'm not saying that it was a good idea to have link and links um, um, to have salt links on our on Smashing Mac. Yeah, but this is just things the way things were because we had no idea if it would work. We thought, okay, we can maybe earn some money, and then we will see how we can invest it in in the product project again and see how it grows. Um, I wouldn't do it now, and we certainly wouldn't. We'll never do it in the future, right? It's just something we did. And at some point, we noticed that the traffic, social traffic grows. Like StumbleUpon was big. We suddenly received a lot of traffic from StumbleUpon. And all these dig effects, they were just amazing. It was just freaking unbelievable. And at some point in January 2007, there was this wonderful list I created at night because uh, my girlfriend um, didn't want to go with me to a nightclub. So I spent the night writing this piece on uh, 53 CSS techniques that you shouldn't live without or stuff like something like that. Right. And it went on Deek and it went on uh, Slashdot and it was everywhere. And it went like crazy. So the traffic was expanding, increasing like crazy. And our server provider host has kicked, it, kicked us out because it was too much traffic for them. And at some point we had to think about, okay, we need better servers. We need to handle more traffic. How do we, f- um, how, how, what can we do with it? How can we monetize it? And Sven had um, this marketing guy who was selling advertising for Dr. Web at the time. 
And so he asked him if he were interested in doing the same work for Smashing, and he said yes. And this is just the way things started. That's uh, that's quite a story there. That's for sure. But <laughs> yeah. it sounds like Dig and Google. I mean, Google. You had six months where you weren't even in the index, but you know you bounced back from that and. I think this might even be back when Dig was popular, and you said 2007, so that would be a, a good year for Dig, not so much 2010 or 11, because yeah. they've pretty much <laughs> been replaced by Twitter and other other opportunities out there. But Reddit, maybe. Yeah, yeah even Reddit. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. And this is not a podcast to knock Dig. It's just truth. So, sorry. Sorry, Kevin. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Kevin knows, though. Um but you know, I was gonna. The next thing I wanted to ask you was was Twitter. I mean, you mentioned how important Dig and those were to your growth and early on in understanding and recognizing the importance and um, of what you were doing. But what kind of impact has has Twitter had on uh, just publishing Not new links? Not at all, because we started using Twitter somewhere in late two thousand eight. Um, it was actually quite late, and um, I registered the account in April 2008, but I haven't used it for a while because I thought that the medium is a bit weird and strange. I didn't get it first. Um, we started using it later, so it wasn't really, it was not that significant at all in the beginning. And I think that, I don't know when Twitter became kind of large and big, maybe 2000. So late 2007, late 2008, I don't remember. Yeah, it was between 07 and 09 is when I started, started to yeah, see a lot yeah. more people pick it up and the medium grow yeah. and have a lot more people behind it too. Right, So, but Twitter played no role whatsoever, but StumbleUpon and Dig did. So what was StumbleUpon? I mean, when you realized what StumbleUpon and Dig had done, did you personally work on getting your content onto those sites and networks or was it somehow – you just hoped that the community would eventually just put it there. Partly, well, we tried to do some things about it as well. So we, uh, for a while, we had stumble upon buttons, we had dig buttons. Um, I also had, a, I still have actually a profile on stumble upon where I stumble other things. Basically, we stumble all the things that go to Twitter and our own content as well. Um, but we didn't like go crazy into putting a lot of money or buying dicks or stuff like that. So we didn't do that. And you mentioned this part of this rise uh, that you just mentioned with massive traffic and your host dropping you and you had to somehow uh, learn how to scale your system. What was that like? Were you? I know in your in your profile you've got you know Pascal and C plus plus and PHP and these languages behind you, but you know was it? Was it you racking your brain saying, you know, I gotta, I gotta build a server and I've gotta figure out how to scale our WordPress blog? And I'm honestly, I have no idea about this. <laughs> <laughs> no whatsoever. I mean, I know PHP and I know how to work with um, a bit C plus plus. I, I have, and I have no idea about Java. For example, I have no idea about networks like server stuff and so on. This is a, this was a time point when when actually when we had problems with our hosters. So it's the time when we actually found a freelancer who was doing the stuff for us, um, because Sven was also into web design and not in server stuff. So he knows a bit about SEO, search engine optimization, for example, but nothing about servers. So we had to rely on this guy, and this poor guy who got phone calls at night because server went down and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, poor, poor guy. <laughs> but it's okay now. And he's sleeping. I'm on. curious who who do you host with now? We have a premium hoster here in Freiburg, 
just nearby, actually 200 meters away from me right now. Uh, we tried different um, posters and we, we've been in discussions with different, different hosters in UK and in the US and actually it would make more sense to have a hoster in the US because I have a large audience there. But we tried to try different options and we went for this one. Hmm. It costs a lot of money. Um, we actually also considered Amazon EC2, um, EC2 Cloud, whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, it turned out to be not that reliable, actually. And the problem was that once we had problems with the server, there was nobody to contact, actually. So it turned out that Amazon doesn't really have a kind of um, dedicated person who works with you. It's just you just need to wait. And it wasn't good enough for us because, yeah. I mean... We have we have advertising advertisers who want to um, get well clicks right, and we have readers who want to get content, and it wasn't an option, so we moved to a different server. All right, so you weren't uh, you weren't much of a of a hacker to scale your own systems and stuff like that. So you've gotten some I people. I wish I would. Let me tell you something. I wish I would, <laughs> but I'm not. Well, I know that's a tough uh, a tough problem to to have. It's a good problem to have, but it's also tough because. Uh, I mean, like you'd said, you weren't really even a writer or an editor. You just kind of shoehorned yourself into that role just because of the direction you took in your life and taking a chance and ultimately that chance turned into Smashing Magazine. So, I mean, you've got other roles to fill that are probably more important to your goals rather than becoming, you right. know, putting your hat on for, for the DevOps team and going in there and hacking around. So, you know, I'm really curious, you, you know, with the growth you'd mentioned – um, you mentioned original content before and how you couldn't be copied by copycats, and it was all about having a strong publishing policy and morals behind what you were writing, and you know having very clear goals with what kind of content you wanted to curate. You know, you'd said you've got writers and staff that came on board uh, either as freelancers that started out and, and you got connected with them, and you actually pay your writers. What? How do you locate and find writers? And then how do you find money to pay the writers? Like, what is what is it like to have this blog you have in place and have the needs to pay your writers? Because that's part of your policy. But yeah. then also find the writers to write the content. Yeah, the thing is, we have, obviously, we get many um, emails of people who want to write for us. And this is where we are really relentless. So it's really difficult if if you're not, like... I thought about like having like invite only writers, but at the same point we want to give people chance who haven't written yet or maybe have some something to share. So we don't I don't want to close this door. Um, but at the same time, if someone wants to write for us, it's really he needs to or she needs to be really ready to uh, undertake certain challenges. Um, at the same time, we are passively, we're, so we are looking for writers actively and passively. Actively, which means that we are trying to find good writers on Twitter, for example. Like we, we would send out a tweet, we are looking for good people. But most of the time, what we get from this tweet is not really what you are looking for. Maybe you will get maybe 100 emails, but you will get only two or three people who are worth it. But we are also looking passively, which means that we are going to sites like Hacker News and we are... Um, looking at what's happening, who's writing what, and who's recommending what, um, looking for good, knowledgeable people on Twitter as well. Um, and then we're contacting them and invite them to write. So, for example, for me, if I, if I find a nice article which really makes sense to me, 
uh, where I love the writing, where I love the ideas behind it, when I can actually feel that the writer wants to deliver something useful and valuable and that he's not ranting, she's, she's not just blabbing around, um, then I go ahead and just drop an email, introduce myself and invite him to write. And in terms of payment, it always comes down to how much time it needs for us to work with a writer. So there are good writers out there who can write pretty good, but at the same time what they write about is not good enough. So it takes a lot of editorial work to make them, well, you know, finish the article in the way that we feel would make sense. So this is kind of the time that we invest. invest. We wouldn't pay the author just because he or she needs more time to write. This is wrong. But what we are doing, it depends on how much time we need to work with him. So initially, what we usually have is kind of the first article is getting paid around $200. Um, and then we see how it goes. If, like how it goes, um, how the writer writes and how we work with him. And then how the audience responds to that. And then also how our experts respond to that. And then if the article goes well, goes good enough, and it's good enough, then we would increase the payment for the subsequent articles. That's that's kind of what I've just wondered. I mean, you say you actively and passively pursue new writers. What is it, you know, considering the fact that you hold the role of editor-in-chief, what's that like for you? Like, how much of your day is consumed with actively or passively looking for and, and evaluating writers? Well, I'm actually, I'm just, as I said, I'm a crazy person, <laughs> right? So I'm, I'm, I love to read. Uh, about all kind of things in like security, which I'm not really an expert in, but I'm really want to. I love to explore new things, so I'm reading a lot, and it's not really. It's like it's like something that I have in my mind all the time. So if I'm reading something and I think that actually it would be a good fit, then I just drop it in my follow-up list or somewhere in Google Docs or whatever, and then I follow up and write um, a message to this um, this guy to this girl. Um, so actually it's something that I do seamlessly. It's not like I'm, I'm going hunting every uh, hour for an hour or so. So, but whenever I, I read something useful or interesting, um, I just keep it, keep my mind open, keep my eyes open. Are right, you kind of integrate your hunting process into your <laughs> daily activities? I suppose. Yeah, I would say so. Yes. I like the word you use there, so. hunting. I like that. <laughs> it's kind of like smashing, yeah. you know, you're going to smash them with it. Yeah. True. Yeah. Uh, you'd mentioned, but, but it's also fun because you know there are some always at some at some point you discover some great people who maybe write an article or two on their blog and then that's it, right? So you don't hear for the, of them for a while. Like for example, Leah Veru, um, she's doing some nasty CSS stuff. This is freaking unbelievable. Like this is really unbelievable. It's it's crazy, seriously, um, in a good way, obviously. Um, but she wasn't there like one year ago, or so she just started writing maybe six, seven, eight months ago, and now she is one of the writers in Smashing. Just because I discovered her and then I spoke with her and uh, things developed, it was it was nice because you have you also we also support fresh voices in in the community, which is great. Yeah, I love that uh, that aspect about you. And, you know, beyond this conversation we're having here today, I've had uh, a chance to talk with you through email, through through other channels, because we'd, we'd mentioned earlier in the call, um, I think before we started recording, though, about uh, the SaaS way. And I just love the, that um, that you support, I guess the easiest word to use for them would be like independent or startup publications like that, that 
maybe focusing on a niche or are small and they don't really have a lot of legs yet. And I just love the aspect of you helping prop them up. Is that kind of where Smashing Network came from was to support the community and the other bloggers out there that were doing something similar to that Smashing Magazine is trying to solve? Yeah, actually, this was exactly the idea in the beginning. So we wanted, we've seen that there are many articles out there and then most of the times they just don't get the attention they deserve. And actually, as before the Smashing Network launched, I had a conversation with one um, nice guy who was writing for a while and then he closed his blog because he didn't get traffic, he couldn't monetize it and he, in the end he just didn't have money for that. And it really, not that it hurt, but I felt a bit, I don't know, for some reason I felt embarrassed because he obviously he could write for us, right? But we also have certain uh, requirements and it's not easy to, like, we, we can just publish uh, like five, six paragraphs article on smashing. It needs to have certain value. It needs to have, it needs to be good, right? So it's not something that you do in, within a couple of hours. So what he has done, he had great posts, seriously. And, so there was nothing I could do. And it really drove me, drove me nuts at the time. And then Sven also had this idea of Smashing Network, having a network where articles would be published and it would become a hub of uh, really good bulletproof articles that our community, the design community, not only Smashing readers, but the design community would go to because they would get curated content, um, best of the best, actually, things that they have to read. And I felt that it was the right step. Because I would love to prevent things like this poor guy dropping of writing. I want to prevent it from happening. And so that's what uh, that's what propelled Smash Network to become even a thought in your mind. Network, it was not my idea in the beginning, uh, actually. But I kind of I feel comfortable with it. <laughs> okay, with the whole network thing. So. Essentially, what we do right now, we just send traffic away, traffic away, right? But I think that we can do something else out of it. Maybe we'll come up with something soon enough. Uh, beyond the beyond the smashing network, you also have a job board, an email newsletter, which I, I you know absolutely love every time I get that email newsletter because I just know I have to. I don't know when to expect it, but whenever I do see it, I'm like, okay, the next hour to at least a half hour of my life is consumed with reading that and checking out the links because. You don't share anything in that newsletter that isn't awesome to read. You also have your shop, which is some of your own swag, and e- yeah. even a job board. I mean, I just love how you're supporting the community. Why Why is supporting the community so important to you? Oh, I have no idea. I don't know what this thing is. I'm a creative person. I love to build things, and I love to see other people creating and building things too. And I remember in 2006 when I was really freelancing a bit and I was doing stuff and I I felt compelled and I felt excited about what's going on in the community because there were so many new techniques and people were sharing and the whole principle of just putting your just putting your word out there, putting your your knowledge out there for everybody to use it was amazing and I feel I, I feel that we have a really great community going on in the moment where many many people are involved and most people are very helpful and. Some people think that there are stars um, who, that everybody knows, right? But in the end, they're all very approachable. They're all very open, and it's great. You wouldn't find this kind of thing in different industries, I think. Maybe it's something that prompted me to 
you know, to, to have this kind of sense of community being embedded in the smashing philosophy. I don't know. And, and uh, before I dive into the next couple of questions I've got, I, I want to know more about um, when you say curated by Vitaly Friedman, you obviously have a team behind you. What does it mean to be in the role you have? And can you give us a glimpse of maybe what it's like to be a, a day in the life of Vitaly? Okay. Um, well, actually, I was never, I, I never wanted to be a manager. Obviously, we have a team. We have, um, overall, we have, let's count, I think, 14 or 15 people right here, right here in the office. Um, six full-time, seven part-time, and two trainees. And it is difficult, actually, because everybody has things to do and everybody wants to know how to do things. And because I'm kind of relentless, high and quality guy, I'm doing my best to make sure that everything that we're doing is of good quality, be it newsletter, be it something like products that we have or whatever, whatever it is we're doing, whatever has smashing brand should have certain level of quality. So for me, what takes a lot of time, really a lot of time is to make sure that things are done right. This is why we have checklists, we have uh, quality control stuff and stuff like that. But most of the time what I'm doing is either editing or reviewing articles, sending feedback back to writers, or sending emails back and forth, trying to acquire new writers, creating contacts and stuff like that. Uh, reading a lot, finding useful stuff for, for Twitter and um, in general for my read list, um, and just talking to people who work here, just making sure that they're doing work properly and that they know what they're doing. So this is uh, what I do, I guess. And you also get a chance to do some speaking here. I know that you've been at a couple conferences right, yeah. recently. What? Uh, how often do you speak, and what are things? What are some of the things you speak about? Is it mostly design, or do you talk about some things we're talking about today, which is you know Smashing Magazine and how it does its day to day business? Yeah, the thing is that I'm I love speaking and I love writing, and for both things, sometimes I just don't find time, but sometimes I'm just make my time, whatever it takes. <laughs> um, actually, I love speaking, and I've been to a couple of conferences this year. I was in Norway, Switzerland, and Prague. And for me, it's not about speaking itself, but more about um, being in this crowd of people um, who are interested in web design web development. And very often, I don't even introduce myself first, because I really want to feel what's going on in the community, what what problems do people have. Maybe I would ask questions about Smash and Make without introducing who I am because it's really important for me to get some immediate honest feedback. We, we do it on Twitter as well, but it's much better in a party after a couple of beers. Trust me, <laughs> it's much better. Um, I do some speaking too, occasionally, Um more often, I pretend I tend to not speak about smashing because it's I've been saying the whole story over and over again way too long and way too often. So I pretend to I, I, I'm a more analytical person. I love to think about design. I'm not good in Photoshop, not at all, um, but I love thinking about usability and user experience and um, in general about community and also web design. So my talks are often about design and uh, things that we should or should not do, maybe. I'm always trying to spark a new discussion. And sometimes I even try to be more provocative. 
um, not for the sake of it, but because I want people to think about what they're doing. I think there's a lot of just, people actually that go out there in the web world that just uh, they get into this follower mentality. They look at who's popular and just start yeah. to mimic or mirror yeah, the them. Thing is that, yeah, exactly. The thing is that they often, too often, is that people are there are many designers out there and many people who claim to be designers. And I'm not a designer, not at all. I haven't. I'm, I'm honestly, if you look at my previous work, it's terrible. It's terrible. Every single bit of it. Um, but I think that many people um, just, there are things that they do because they think that it's cool, but it isn't. Like, for example, I think that Dribble is extremely overrated. Um, I see many people going for, to Dribble first before when they start a new project for inspiration. And I think it's wrong because in the end, you trying to find solutions to problems to your problems but instead you're copying solutions to different problems from different people and for example if you go to a website most of the time you don't actually see a design right you're experiencing it what it means is that you have no idea about the context of design decisions made so you don't know anything about user base well, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But you don't know anything about technical requirements, business requirements, budget requirements, time limitation, um, design decisions made, design decisions rejected. Um, there are so many things that we have no idea about. And then, nevertheless, we try to judge design by its cover and then try to pick certain design elements from it and put it in our design, hoping that once we shuffle all these design elements we, we, have, we have found, we have collected, a good design emerges, right? And I don't think that a good design works this way. So what is more important to me is that, what is important to me is that we should strive to create something like holistic designs, where every design element, actually the existence of every design element, should be justified by the fundamental idea behind the design. This is what I miss very often in conversations with designers. Yeah. Yeah, it's it is tough. I mean, with sources like Dribble to to give them some credit would be that they've found a very unique way to I I guess would I would say is give a glimpse into the hottest design yeah, right now. No, please don't get me wrong, Adam. I, I don't say that Dribble is bad. It's just I feel that for many people it's overrated. So many people dribble the idea behind dribble is great. You can share ideas, you can present your ideas, and then you can get some feedback. The idea itself is wonderful. It is that people use it as inspiration for their own products. You know, I look I look at dribble like for me, this is I mean, I use dribble and I actually recently just became a, a draftee, so I've I've been dribbling here and there, but um I've been playing with it a little bit. I think the way that dribble makes sense to me, and maybe this is the same for you is that I want to show off unique elements of my design that I like a lot, that I appreciate, and I can share some notes on, but at the same time give a glimpse into some of the things that I'm working on that not so much promote it, like I want to go out there and advertise to my community or the people that are following me, but I want to let them know I want to, you know, exactly what the fundamental goal of Dribble really is, is to give them a glimpse into what you're working on right now. Not so much for a design perspective, but uh, it just in general, hey, I'm working on this, I'm a designer, I'm a UX designer, whatever your role is. Here's something I work on, working on, but at the same time, here's a cool project that you should be known about or know about. Right. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, and it's perfectly valid point. 
It just, I feel that many conversations when I ask designers how their process looks like, they usually would say, well, we need some inspiration, so we go and look for inspiration to design galleries or dribble. And maybe we are spending way too much time on looking for inspiration on this visual, um, make, looking for visual inspiration online. Yeah, and, you know, offline or even just uh, just studying your own problems. Like you had mentioned earlier, you're just copying yeah. aesthetics that are solutions yeah, or problems that you didn't really have. You know, maybe evaluate your current problems and think about ways that, that uh, right. your design can be impactful to that versus the finite details or the aesthetics of that design. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah I love that. So um, you would mentioned asking the community – polling the community about feedback and whatnot. And this might allude to my next conver- my next question for you. But uh, about eight hours ago, you'd ask, what's the most common problem to en- you encounter when you're doing a redesign? And as I understand, you're kind of in the middle of a redesign, or that's possibly yes, known, exactly. possibly not known. Can you tell us about that? It, it is known. Actually, Elliot J. Stocks is doing redesign right now. Yeah. We are, uh, well, I wouldn't say that we're finishing now, but we uh, have crossed the 50% mark, I guess. Okay. So um, we hope to roll it out somewhere in late November, maybe. Maybe early November, we'll see. Um, But there are things that we actually, there are many things that we have considered. It's the threat on Basecamp is huge. We have been discussing with Elliot all kind of things. It's it's been it's been fun. Uh, He's great. Um, He's very creative guy, and he's very talented, and he's very professional, which is great. It's just that you know I'm perfectionist. I love to push, push pixels around, but we give him his freedom. Right. I know that whatever Elliot Elliot does produce is. is always phenomenal, and I caught a, one of his recent blog articles about things he's working on with you guys, and mm-hmm. I was really impressed with what he's got going on. So, what is it like to to manage that project for a big magazine like you are? I know you run on WordPress, and there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes. Like you've got all this process around publishing articles. What does that mean to redesign Smashing Magazine? It's a big deal. <laughs> It's a huge deal, actually. So there are many custom functions in WordPress. Um, it's all customized. It's all improved in terms of performance and stuff like that. Um, running Smashing Mac on WordPress is not easy, especially in terms of scalability and performance. And um, I think that Elliot has realized it recently. Yeah. Yeah. So the WordPress team we are using, it's it's really bit nasty i would say um but we also want to create new ones from from scratch so we will use the functions that we have developed for the current team that we're using but we want to have a clean break where we see when we have a clean css when we have a clean html code html5 code actually and all the other things that we actually just need to make sure that the magazine runs better in terms of performance and has a better navigation and so on. So also many things are happening behind the scenes. For example, we are doing a lot in terms of text management uh, and in terms of categories, how to organize, organizing things a bit better. Um, a lot going on. It takes a lot of time, too. So let me ask you this, then. This question you asked today, was this really a question you asked the community because you want to know? Because it sounds like one of the – you said common problem, but I think probably one of the biggest problems 
and I almost responded to it was just understanding the context of what you are redesigning because mm-hmm. you've got a massive amount of of articles and content that's been produced over many different categories in a specific CMS with its own limitations and full abilities too. Um, so, I mean, mm-hmm. it's really, I think, the most common problem you probably encounter is just context, right? Context from which yeah. you're redesigning from. Absolutely, yeah. And as the reason why I asked this question is because we were thinking about what exactly is the main problem that we can encounter when the design goes live and how can we prevent it from happening. So um, I'm pretty sure that many people will hate their new design. This is just almost always the case. Yeah, um, There's always a backlash. Yeah, but I mean, it's also sometimes it's just important and maybe necessary to be a dictator when it comes to stuff like to certain decisions, to decisions like this one. Because you need to have a vision. As a site owner, you need to have a vision of where the magazine goes and have a strict, strong vision about that. And we know exactly what we're going to do next. And some people will not like it, some people will like it, and some people will just do not care. They will just read articles in their RSS feed. They will not even notice the redesign, which is fine. Um, so for me, it was really important to just find out, okay, what other, de- other designers or people who follow us on Twitter, what they think is critical for um, what's the critical, the most common and critical problem when it comes to redesign. It just it was really interesting for me to, to know how we should deal with um, feedback that will come later on. The last question I'd like to ask uh, my guests on this show is just if you can give us a glimpse into the future, what's something about you or Smashing Magazine, something that's new and fresh, that's maybe even super secret that no one else knows about that you can mention here on the show today? Okay, let me see. Well, we have quite big things planned for 2012. Um, cannot share a lot of information about that, but it will involve many people, people and many people, and the Mosa area. So we, okay, this is one thing, and the other thing, we also have hired a print editor now. Actually, it was, it's Lisa from SidePoint. Um, she was working in SidePoint, and then we exported her to Germany, actually imported her there you to go. Germany. <laughs> yeah. And so you should be expecting new print products from us as well. Yeah. Very soon. I was excited to to hear from Lisa and then even to see her title. I was like, wow, okay. I didn't know that I know that you've done some ebooks and some print stuff, but I wasn't I wasn't sure what role she was playing in there. So that's that's cool. Okay, what I can say already is that we uh, actually kicked off um, the meeting for Smashing Book Free uh, today. So Smashing Book Free is coming. There you go. I'm excited to see that. I like two. I like one. So, I mean, um, okay. I, I'm excited about that. And I, you know, I love that, too, how you haven't just stuck to the web. You've kind of, like you said early in the call, experimenting. And I can, um, I wish we had a, a ton more time to dive deeper into those subjects. But this is just something I love about your adventure with Smashing Magazine, that you never seemed like you were very afraid to experiment and see what works and get feedback from the community. Yeah, we, we did some mistakes. We did some things that I'm not very proud of, but we also did some good things, I hope. And, you know, even sometimes when, the, when a bad article gets published and gets through, for some reason, gets through the editorial process and, and it gets okay reviews by experts and then it gets published, um, even if it gets published and then somebody thinks that it's a bad article, we always invite, invite people to actually write a rebuttal article on that. We have done it twice in the past, 
And actually, one article, one rebuttal article is being written right now. So this, basically, this is, works like this. You, we publish an article, and someone doesn't like it at all. And then I go there and ask him to write a rebuttal. And just you know, to post his opinion about uh, the issues that we published in um, the articles that we published previously. And I think we should, just should be honest about what we're doing. And we experiment a lot. We do many things. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But it's better to experiment and fail than to be boring, I think. This is why we're doing many experiments here in the Smashing Lab. There you go. I love this the the moniker, too, of Smashing and how you can extend it to Magazine, to... And like you just said, Smashing Labs, it's it's just kind of wild how, and then even Network, of course, and Job Board. And I love brands like that that can be, uh, have an essence, and I guess, you know, and Smashing or We Smash You With is your essence. But I love how you've been able to use that to your advantage. It's awesome. Thanks, Adam. So I, I guess when we close here, let's let's give people a place to go to. I know you're on Twitter, so you're Smashing Mag on Twitter, you're Smashing Mag on Facebook, you're Smashing Mag on Dribble. And even on Google Plus. So, is there anywhere else people can follow Smashing Magazine besides SmashingMagazine.com? I don't think so, not yet. And how about uh, and how about you? So, I know that when we go to uh, when we go to Dribble, it says um, it says Smashing Mag, but in in brackets it says Vitaly Friedman. So, it, are we following you? Yeah, or are we following well, Smashing Magazine? Uh, actually, I I'm thinking about creating um, my single Twitter account, but. Really, maybe this is a point when I am smashing Mac. I don't know. Um, <laughs> on Twitter, I, I have my personal account, but I haven't updated it since 2008, I think. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Um, but I still get new followers every single day. It's unbelievable. But it's okay, I guess. Yeah. But what's, what I actually I would love to mention as well... Um, if you guys, I know that many people, many of you guys who are listening right now, uh, I just have created some startups or maybe have some tools, have created some tools or maybe have written some articles or whatever. Um, really, we are very approachable. So we actually monitor what's going on on Twitter. So if you send us a message on Twitter, we, um, we will see it. Maybe we will not re- respond immediately, but eventually somebody will um, get back to you. Or just drop us a message or tell we're always here to support you guys. And personally, I love personal projects, small projects. And even if you, if, if you think that you have created something meaningful and you want to share it, just let us know. I'm sure we will find an opportunity for you guys. I love that. And thank you so much, Vitaly, for having that, that, uh, that mindset too. I just love that, uh, that, you know, to say that you're approachable. But that's, like, I think that whenever you have, you know, maybe more than a hundred thousand followers on Twitter. Somehow they think you're not approachable and you're not a human anymore. And somehow you've lost all sensitivity and you don't take requests and you don't want to help anybody. But I think that's probably what got you there, right? Yeah, is the fact that you uh, are. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. Well, Vitaly, it's been an utter pleasure to have this conversation with you and to learn more about your your past and Smashing Magazines history and its future and you know be personally and hopefully i'm echoing what the listeners would say as well as that just thanks you know thanks for taking the chance uh thanks for smashing us with your content we appreciate it and uh and uh thanks so much for coming on the show today thanks for having me adam 